This is Frank Dominguez for WDAV's Piedmont Arts. My guest this time is music professor and current chair of the Department of Music at Davidson College. He's also co-creator of WDAV's film score series, Real Music, and an occasional collaborator with the station in other ways, too, such as a focus we had a few years back on music and disability studies. He's here to speak about a timely senior seminar the college is offering on one of his many areas of expertise, the history of horror movie music. It's a pleasure to welcome back Neil Lerner. Neil, welcome. Welcome. Thanks, Frank. Pleasure to be back. Well, thanks for speaking with me. Okay, my first question is a little goofy, but looking over your credentials and considering the topic of this interview, I had to ask you, did you really get your undergraduate degree at Transylvania University? I did. Transylvania, (laughs) 16th oldest school in the U.S., founded in 1780. So it was a, a frontier school across the woods when it was named, and that's the Latin why it has that. So over a century before Bram Stoker wrote the novel Dracula. How about that? um, Still seems like a really wasted branding opportunity that the mascot (laughs) is the pioneer. (laughs) But um, when I've spoken at conferences on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that Transylvania degree has been gold. (laughs) In all seriousness, uh, you are an authority in film music. And uh, uh, when did that fascination with movie music begin? And when did it shift into becoming a focus of your scholarship and your teaching? I can still remember in 1977, the first time I saw Star Wars, when it was just Star Wars without a number and just called Star Wars. And and even as a 11, 12-year-old, that music just made such an impression on me. And I remember having the two-album recording of John Williams' soundtrack. And just I I remember just being so taken by that music and the way that it could powerfully take me back to scenes in the movie and listening to it and trying to figure out how an orchestra could do some of that stuff. Um, I had no idea for most of college and even the first part of graduate school that I would end up writing about film music. I I didn't go to musicology graduate school thinking I would do that. But as I started to learn more about music history and just about um, sort of music in general and what's going on with music in in our contemporary day, I realized how important film music has come to to be, that, that symphonic music is still being created at an extremely high level and it's still a, a way that composers and musicians and copyists and listeners and all these other people interested in orchestral music are, are able to see that tradition continuing on. So I wrote a dissertation on film music, and I've been working on different topics on it ever since. Tell us about the seminar uh, that you're involved with and what the students in it are doing to learn about the subject. So so this is a, a senior capstone seminar for, for music majors, as well as for our students who do the minor in film and media studies. So we brought that together, and there's, you know, there are, of course, some different skill sets that they're bringing in. So for the music majors, this is supposed to be a course that caps off their, their time at Davidson and having taken bunch of music classes. So they're coming in with more background, talking about music, having been exposed to more music, having many of them perform music. Um, Whereas the film minors are coming in and don't know as much necessarily about music, but have a lot to say about the films and, and taking apart a film. And they've got a different tool set in how to analyze and discuss a film than the music majors do. So the the two these two groups together, they're 
11 students in there. It's, it's creating a, a really uh, wonderful chemistry in terms of the, the different approaches that we've got and the ways that sort of everyone can bring slightly different perspectives to what we're talking about. What's the uh, structure of the seminar? What are they going to be uh, 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 addressing in it? So we've the first couple of weeks we spent actually looking at examples of music that aren't film music. We're actually um, looking at at kinds of music that I'm I've set up as as examples of scary music before there was horror film, and so we've looked at things like. Um, like the Berlioz Symphony Fantastique, the last movement of that, or Schubert's El König, or um, we actually have looked some at Schoenberg and Berg's music. Um, so this this early 20th century expressionist music, which is, you know, quite disturbing in, in many ways. It's a really dark psychological space that that music sets up. And and one of the historical points that I I build the whole course on is that Many of these musical traditions from the concert hall in the first part of the 20th century, like the, the ways that Schoenberg and Berg, um, their avant-garde musical styles, those traditions that don't find such a big audience among concert hall goers, uh, this music finds an ongoing life, a life that continues today in 2019 in film, and particularly in film for horror, sometimes in science fiction, but horror film is still a, a, a place where you find a lot of really experimental and avant-garde musical techniques. Are there specific eras or movements in the scoring of horror movies similar to the ways in which we separate classical music into periods such as Baroque or Romantic, etc.? Um, some, some film historians have tried to break it up in that way. We're not really breaking it up into periods, but we are following a, a roughly chronological approach. So we're, we're starting with a... a a pre-synchronized sound film. So we'll look at the German Nosferatu from the early 1920s and and listen to music that would have been accompanying it. It would have been performed live in the 1920s. And from then we'll be focusing on mostly U.S. films, Hollywood films, and, and moving chronologically. So we'll look at some of the early 1930s um, Universal films or the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde from 1931, which was Paramount. Uh, we'll look at Bride of Frankenstein. That was universal. Um, and then we'll just move chronologically, basically by decade, up until the present. So the last film that we'll consider will be uh, Get Out from 2017. I should add at this point that uh, students in the seminar are writing blog posts for WDAV. And if you are unaware of that and listening to this interview, you can uh, visit WDAV.org and click on the word blog to see uh, the latest posts. I want to ask you, Neil, why is film music in general and, and music from horror scores in particular worthy of this kind of study? As I said, there's this sort of historical, um, I don't know, curiosity or um, maybe just surprise that that this music that a lot of listeners were quick to write off when they first encountered it. So um, extremely dissonant atonal music by the Second Viennese School from the early 20th century. Music that listeners were by and large not excited to hear again. And, and music that quickly sort of started riots, if not literal riots. At least people were extremely agitated and critics were just besides themselves. And, and some very serious sort of fault lines sort of developed between composers and audiences. What we're able to trace in this is how so many of these, these experimental sounds, these unusual sounds, um, the ways that they agitated audiences in a live concert setting, 
Some of those techniques work really well in a film where a composer is maybe trying to create a psychological space that is dealing with negative emotions and fear and um, trauma, terror, pain, sadness, grief. Um, I mean, it's it's got some pretty serious topics in terms of the films we're looking at. And so one of the interesting things about horror film, um, even though as a genre, it's a bit disreputable. They're often low-budget exploitive films. Um, They might be pretty cheesy, and some of them might be actually sort of flaky and goofy. But in general, horror films provide a way to deal with with troubling topics, but usually through some sort of a code or symbolism. Um, So we we often are finding ourselves talking about topics involving mortality or fear of mortality or fear of the body not working or parts of the body not working. These are the kinds of anxieties that might come up over and over in different kinds of horror films. And and composers, both from the concert hall and for horror film, have come up with really fascinating strategies to represent some of those emotional states. You've mentioned how some of the avant-garde music of the 20th century has found a a good place in being incorporated into the scores for horror movies. Are there any horror movie scores that take a different approach, that use uh, music that might be unexpected, that still works? Of course. And some of the most chilling moments can happen. It's often innocent-sounding children's music, children's choir music. Uh, There's some places in in the birds uh, where we hear the children out in the playground singing some before a bird attack or um, there's some moments in the omen where some similar kinds of things happen that harsh contrast between something sounding so innocent and happy and pure and then something really shocking and upsetting um, filmmakers use that to great effect so it it is um, one of the main strategies that we've been looking at in the class as a way that a composer can scare us so the, the piece of music out of context or suddenly it's what we think is the context gets disrupted or, or shifted in a very rapid way and it, it just destabilizes everything for us as a viewer and a listener. Finally, is there a significant or influential horror movie score that's also a personal favorite of yours? I've been uh, personally drawn to the, the music and the sound in the 1931 Dr. Jekyll and Hyde for several years now. That's not a film people think of as much. It comes out just at the same time that we get the first Dracula and Frankenstein and Wolfman films from Universal. But the Paramount Jekyll and Hyde, it's directed by uh, Ruben Mamoulian, who was an important pioneer when it comes to sound and just recording. So he's directing films at a time when they're just moving to sound cinema. And to record the sound at the same time as you're recording the film meant they had to to muffle the sound of the camera, which was quite loud. So the cameras were in these huge cabinets that they ironically called ice boxes. The camera stops moving for a period in film because it's, it's just in this huge soundproofed box. And Mamoulian is one of the first directors to try to figure out workarounds to to just get however many men it would take to move that really heavy box so that the camera could move again. But he also starts to experiment with with overdubbing, attempting to overdub 
um, to create um, really fairly complicated sound montages. And he does this in the first Jekyll and Hyde movie, the first time we see the transformation. He only does it once. But it's about a three-minute uh, sequence where both the special effects visually are just still breathtaking for 1931. Um, it, you look at it and you're really... Um, it's it's even more impressive to me because we know they didn't have computer animation to go mm-hmm. back and redo everything digitally in the way they could today. So you're looking at it and the, the camera's not moving and we're seeing his face change in front of us. But we're also hearing this this um, montage of sounds that the director called his sound stew. And he had done things like recorded his own heartbeat oh. and has that playing in there. He, he recorded... Um, candlelight, the flickering of flames and candles. But he he's set up the camera so that the light, the light flickering was being captured on the audio part of the film so that it played back and made these very strange sounds. They recorded bells and gongs and played those in reverse and slowed them down. And um, things that we associate with electronic music studios in the 1950s and 1960s. But Mamoulian was actually decades ahead of of his time doing this in the early 30s. So in terms of creating this set of sounds that in some ways is sort of familiar, it's what Freud would call uncanny, and the way that we, we think we're reminded of something, but we just can't put our finger on what that thing is, that, that sound stew is full of these uncanny sounds. And, and he really is looking ahead to what a lot of later horror films will do. My guest has been Neil Lerner speaking about the senior seminar at Davidson College on the history of horror movie music. You can also read blog posts by students in the seminar on the subject. Uh, Neil, thank you so much for coming in to talk about it. Thank you, Frank. For WDAV's Piedmont Arts, I'm Frank Dominguez.